A month ago yesterday, I celebrated my seventh anniversary uh, with Chapel Rock. And it's a little bit hard to believe that it's been seven years. Like, uh, the part, of, part of it is just like, wow, that went fast. And the other part is this really just, just seven, huh? Um, you throw a, throw a global pandemic in there and that changes your perception of time. But one of my favorite memories over the last seven years actually came pretty early in that process. November 6th, 2016. It was about two months away from becoming the Chapel Rock's fifth lead pastor in its history. And um, that night was the annual meeting here. We had dinner, the Fellowship Hall, we all came down here. And it was kind of my first chance to, to cast vision as the incoming new lead pastor. And I was excited about that. And, and um, we'd lived here about 10 months by that point. Um, no, eight months by that point. And so I, th- I think I still kind of had the benefit of new guy eyes if you've ever gone to a new job or a new school uh, or, or like when you marry into a family, you're coming into it with a fresh perspective, right? Like you've, and you've got new person eyes. And so, do you remember, I don't remember what, it was like a deodorant commercial or something and they talked about going nose blind to something. Like when you're new, you can't, you know, you, when you've been there a while, you don't smell the thing and the new person comes in like, wow, it smells like watermelon. I don't know. Um, Whatever, but so it was, I felt like I had the benefit of still kind of having some new guy eye thing happening on early on in those days. And I remember just talking with people, and there was this kind of sense in the church that the folks just kind of felt like we were stuck. Like, like well, the good old days have passed us by, and we're going to hang on to as much as we can for as long as we can, but that's just kind of the way things are and you know all the influence and and stuff and people have moved uh, out further out you know into the suburbs I mean this used to be but now it's not and there was just kind of this perception and and as being new it was like I'm hearing all this and kind of trying to take that in and I remember that night so clearly and I wish with all my heart that you guys who are here could have seen yourselves if you could have stood up here with me and or if there was a mirror and because I began to talk about the idea that God has placed us in this middle place. Not, we're not really in the city, because we're outside 465, and this used to be the suburbs, that's not now, but it used to be. And so there's still that suburban memory. But, but there's certainly an element of urban life that's present here that wasn't certainly 30 years ago, and, and even as recently as you know, 10 or 15. And I began to just talk about this, and I began to, to describe what this is like and how it's, it's actually a good thing that God kind of has us in this middle place. And I wish you could have seen yourselves, because that night, those who were here, everybody who's here all kind of did this. Yeah. And they were smiling, like, and it was like the first time they're realizing, like, our, yeah, our context is it's just kind of different. And it was thrilling to be part of that because I believe that God used me to communicate something to you. And I really believe the the language was from him. And this this strategy that we have, we're beginning to live out, I think, to help God or to have God um, edit our spiritual DNA from feeling stuck here to being strategically here. From being planted to being positioned. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. Like I've told you before, my study of Scripture has convinced me that there are times that the Lord would like to do a little spiritual DNA editing on His church. And this happens routinely throughout church history. Over and over and over again, God does this. I've mentioned to you that the church is the most self-reforming organization in the history of the world. And just like DNA has four chemical compounds, there are four aspects that make up a church's DNA. 
So you, you've got their theology or doctrine, what they believe. You've got the philosophy of ministry. That's how you live out what you believe. The size is just, it doesn't, you know, mega church, house church, whatever. It makes a difference in how you experience church. And then the fourth one is local context. And no, I mean, even a church of similar size in, you know, France is going to be different than a church in, like, Texas. They're just different. They're just going to have things that are different about them. And for the last several weeks in this spliced series, we've been talking about each one of these things in turn. Today, I want to talk about the local context aspect of church life. Just what does it mean to be a local church? And we're going to begin today in Ephesians 4.4. We're going to bounce around, but we're going to start in Ephesians 4.4. So if you want to open your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians 4.4. Thanks for being with us this morning. I just want to echo what Gene said. Uh, If you haven't yet, fill out your connection card. That really helps us out. Helps disciple you. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. Uh, I want to know. Want to let you know that we've got an exciting Sunday next week planned. Uh, great Resurrection Sunday. Great day to invite family and friends. We're trying to resource you uh, to do that with that thing. Uh, our own in-house Chapel Rock Worship Collective uh, has written a song together called "The Way of Jesus." We're going to sing that next Sunday because we're starting a brand new series on Easter Sunday called "This Is the Way." And over the course of several weeks, we're going to be looking at very, very primitive Christianity. In the Gospels and in the book of Acts, Christianity very early on was called the way. Because Jesus called himself the way. And so the series is called This is the Way. And some of you are like, that sounds like the thing that they say on that Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. You're right. It is. And when I said that in the last sermon, someone over here, I don't know who, I won't call it, but someone over there was like, nerd. Um, <laughs> the shoe fits. Uh, yeah. So, so we're, you know, listen, it's a cultural touch point, And yeah, we're going to have some fun with that. But you need to understand, this series is absolutely going to be about Jesus. And, and, and his calling us to follow him and walk in his way. And what that means over the next few weeks. So we'll have some fun with it. But, but we're going to f- talk about following the way of Jesus, okay? And, and it is my sincere hope that that series will stoke in your heart a red-hot fire to experience Jesus in your context the same way the early church did in theirs. And speaking of context, that's the big idea for us this morning. That the Lord has positioned Chapel Rock, and that means he's positioned you, to help our community find wholeness in Jesus. You are not stuck here, you are here strategically. You're not planted here, you're positioned here. We've been talking about what it means for Jesus to edit our spiritual DNA, cut out mutations that have accumulated over the years, and kind of splice back in what he desires us to be. But one really interesting thing about that is that it doesn't mean that every church is just a carbon copy of every other. I I remember we, we had a conversation uh, a Zoom meeting with a dude in, in Texas, um, and he said to us, uh, me and a couple of their staff members in that meeting, he said, I really think like your, your church should be like McDonald's. Like everywhere you go, it's the same menu. You know, it's just, you just go to the one that's closest and whichever one you feel like going to. And I remember thinking in that moment, of course, my first thought was, I don't even like McDonald's. Like, what do you, <laughs> like, how do you think that's going to convince me that we should pay you thousands of dollars? Um, it's not, it's fine. It's just, and sometimes when you're on a road trip, there's nothing better than a quarter pounder with cheese. But, like, if I'm going to, if I want a burger, if I want a really good burger, I'm sorry, and especially if you work there, it's not my first choice. You know? 
the church is different wherever you go. Not even identical twins are perfectly genetically identical most of the time. Do you know this? There was a report that came out from the Smithsonian, uh, at least the Smithsonian published it, the research was by the journal Nature Genetics, that shows, this was January 7, 2021, this shows that identical twins differ by an average of 5.2 genetic mutations per twin. Let me break this down into, into easier to grab numbers. Identical twins have the exact same DNA only 12.6% of the time. What? 87 plus percent of the time, there's some difference. At least five and a half genetic mutations per twin. Not even identical twins have the same DNA. And my point in bringing that up is that even though God is editing his church's DNA, and I think it's not just happening here, I think it's happening around the world. Even though God is editing our DNA, he's not turning us into clones of one another. Each church has its own local context, its own specific mission to live out in the community that God planted it. Positioned it, rather. He positions each congregation uniquely to accomplish his purpose to do in their context. Let me show you something in the New Testament that, that illustrates this. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Look at this. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, there is one body. It's the church, the body of Christ. And one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And all God's people said, amen. Man, I love this verse. I love this verse because I want you to hear me here, church. It doesn't matter what name is over the door. There's one church. On the great day of judgment, sheep, goats, that's it. There will be those to whom Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, and those to whom he says, depart from me, I don't know you. That's it. It doesn't matter what name is over the door. I mean, yes, we're right, but it doesn't matter what name is over the door. <laughs> There's one church, one body of Christ. So Paul says, he'll say much the same in 1 Corinthians 12, right? We're all members of one body. <laughs> but then, when Paul is describing his burden as a church planter, he writes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the what? Churches, plural. That's not the only place he does this. Another example is Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, I think we, in our day, we've substituted holy handshake, but you get the idea. All the churches of Christ, churches of Christ send greetings. Well, Paul, which one is it? Is there one church? Or are there churches? Answer? Yes. It's both. There is one church. There's the body of Christ. There's one church, the bride of Christ. There's one church, the flock of the good shepherd that he knows and calls each by name. But each gathering of believers has a local expression. Right? Each body is unique that way. The word church appears 79 times in the New Testament. Churches appears 35 times, almost half. It's both. So what's that mean for us? Well, what that means and what makes us unique 
is that by the sovereignty of God, Chapel Rock has been uniquely positioned to help our community find wholeness. Some years ago, as what this used to be the suburbs, and, and it all kind of was moving further out that way, <laughs> our elders had a meeting. And they said, do we stay put or do we move? Do we follow, do we follow the population trend that way? And they made a decision to stay put. And I believe that that was a God-ordained decision. And I think God, when was that? Do you guys know, I mean, how long ago? 20 years? 2008, 9, right, Paul? Something like that. So yeah, like 15 years ago. God was doing something 15 years ago that we're now beginning to see the fruit of. So when you say, God, why won't you do this on my timeline? Oh my goodness, you have no idea how long God's timelines can be. So I, 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 what I want to do is just kind of take our, micro, our DNA microscope and zoom in and take a really close look at what it means to do ministry in this middle place. We've been encouraging you through this series every night at 820 to pray. 820 in military time is 2020. Y'all been doing that? I'm seeing some heads nodding. Yeah? Debbie was telling me at the ladies retreat Friday night, like everybody's phone blew up at 820. I'm like, tell them their preacher has an ear-to-ear grin. Man, that's awesome. I love it. And, and I would encourage you, yes, this is the last day in this series. Keep doing that. Just leave that in your phone. Can we just all do that together? And, and I would, I, last week I encouraged you, I asked you to add fasting to that. Pick a time. And I, I stayed in public. I, I told you I'd remind you. I'm going to do it again today. I'm not going to say anything about it next week. But I, this year I've chosen to fast the entire time that Jesus was in the tomb. So from 3 o'clock Friday afternoon until early Sunday morning. And, and, and to break that fast with communion. I'm excited about that. And I would encourage you to do it too. I'm not going to talk about it publicly next week, I, partly just because I don't want visitors and new people to feel awkward like, well, I missed out on something, you know. So if you do it, that's, and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, it ought to be between you and God anyway. It's not something to brag about. But I would just encourage you to do that, to continue to lean into this idea of praying that Jesus would make us a church that will seek and save the lost by making disciples that make disciples. And one of the interesting things about CRISPR gene, you know, CRISPR gene editing is that it can find exactly the right section of DNA that needs to be cut out and then spliced in the new one. It, it's hyper-local in its ability to do that, like, like on a molecular level. And I think God can do that too in his church. I believe he's calling us to lean more in our local context into this idea of being in a middle place. And I think he's doing it for three reasons. Let me tell you what those are. Here's the first one. Number one, the middle place is where the action is. The middle place is where the action is. Now before we go a lot further into this idea, I just want to say, and maybe this is a bit of a, a, a defense here, I, I, now, middle place sounds like a made-up word. It's not. I didn't actually invent that word. The first record of it being used, believe it or not, is in a church count, the records of a church council from 418 A.D. Uh, in a description of the heresy of Pelagius, who taught that those who die without being baptized go to a middle place between heaven and hell. Now, I disagree with Pelagius, because it's generally a good idea to disagree with heretics. Um, but I appreciate the helpfulness of the term. I think there's the, 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 the term is actually helpful, all right? So, so there are two elements that are, being, that are present in this term of being a middle place. First of all, the, the middle places are where things meet. Middle places where things meet couple examples. Um, the beach. 
It's the middle place between the land and the sea. People love the beach. Some of you all were at the beach this last week. I saw your Facebook pictures. And you look more tan. <laughs> right? Uh, everybody loves the beach, right? The mountains are the middle place between the earth and the sky. Man, give me the mountains. Uh, the yes, please. I love the mountains. Right? Dawn and dusk are the middle place between day and night. And when people use those terms, they use the, when they describe those times, they use terms like magical and special. What's the best part of an Oreo? The middle. It's good, right? That's, that's where things meet. That's where things come together. But that's not just where they meet. That's also where things change. When you think of all the people who come to watch a boxing match, where does the action happen? In the middle. <laughs> right? When you go to a football or a basketball game, where do they play the game? In the middle. The middle of the arena is where the action is. It's where the battle is fought. It's where things change. I want you to hear me. The middle is not a place of mediocrity. It is a place of decision and change. Theologically speaking, earth is the middle place between heaven and hell. It's the arena of God's struggle to redeem us. It's the battleground of the supernatural war for our souls. It is the stage upon which the great drama of human redemption plays out. And so when we talk about being in a middle place, we're talking about being a place where where people meet Jesus and where he changes them. That's where the action is. I want to be there. The second reason I think God wants to edit our DNA to help us lean into this is that it's where God put us. He put us in this middle place. He, he wants us to be here. We're, we're quite literally located in a middle place between the city and the suburbs. I've mentioned to you before, I live in Chapel Hill, just not even a mile and a half, or about a mile and a half that way. And, and from my house, or from our church parking lot, in 20 minutes, I can be right in the middle of downtown Indianapolis, depending on traffic. <laughs> 20 minutes west, and I'm out in the cornfields in Hendricks County. We're we, right here. We're right smack in the middle between the city and the suburbs, right? Our, our, our location, I, I believe, gives us a massive strategic advantage. We're not stuck here. God has put us here strategically to reach into the city and to reach out to the suburbs and help people find wholeness in Jesus. See, here's the thing. Our shifting cultural context has made Chapel Rock's, uh, can I use this term, superhero origin story irrelevant. This used to be the suburbs. When my house was built in 1967, this was the suburbs. And so the the west side was changing. It was changing rapidly. It was growing fast, and we needed a good church here. And so, you know, it was almost 60 years ago they planted this church here. And, And the thought was, man, the west side's changing. We need a good church there. Now the circumstances, the individual circumstances are now different than they were, but then is the, is the, need any different? Is the west side still changing? Yes. Yes, Faster than it ever was. Does it still need a good church here? Yes. Yes. So while the specifics of our origin story are different, the need hasn't changed at all. If anything, it's grown. And this is where God put us. What, What I'm saying is I'm trying to tap into the spiritual impetus that launched this church in the first place. We're also right in the middle of many different ethnicities and socioeconomic identities. I've heard recently that in Wayne Township, there are 77 different languages that are spoken. 
77 different languages. You are getting an illustration right now of the age diversity in this room. (laughs) By the way, I love it. Babies, amen, great. Totally cool with babies. Babies in church, good thing. Some of you are like, we know, we get it, you love babies. Um, It's okay. It's a child that's going to grow up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. This is a good thing. Some of you, it's been a while since you were a baby. (laughs) We can measure this in decades, okay? So, uh, and there's, there's, there's a difference. So there's a difference, a variety of age. There's a variety of ethnicity. There's, there's a, you know, a variety of socioeconomic identities. So in our church vision, when we say the whole community whole in Christ, we're being very intentional about becoming as inclusive and hospitable as we can. When it, when it comes to this, I like, I... Yeah, all skate, everybody in the pool, like, great. But that doesn't mean that we're going to be able to reach everybody. Yes, God put us here, but that doesn't mean we can just connect with every single person on the west side. I wish we could, but we can't. Some churches really lean into this, though. I, I'm, say, I'm speaking from experience here. As a former church planter, we started a new church in Montana back in 2003. So I'm speaking from experience. There are some churches out there, I'm not trying to run them down. This is the strategy they've adopted, and I used to be there. So I'm, I'm coming out of this, right? But they would, they would flat out say in their board meetings, like, we're trying to reach a Caucasian or white Latino, four, 34-year-old college-educated married couple with 1.8 kids, 1.41 dogs, 0.6 cats who works 1.78 full-time jobs. They have a mortgage, two car payments, and they pay for Amazon Prime, Netflix, and cable. You think I'm kidding. I guarantee you that conversation happens in church planting boardrooms all over this country. How do I know it happens? Because I sat in on one. Been there, done that. Not us. We're, just, we're going to choose a different path. I, here's the thing. Can't, the diversity is just off the scale, literally. And we know we can't reach that. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to lean into psychographics, not demographics. Demographics is what color your skin is, where you live, how much you make, all that stuff. Psychographics is the way you think and feel. Now, here's who I believe God has equipped us to reach. People who know things aren't right, but they want them to be. People who are willing to acknowledge the brokenness of our world. who are willing to admit it, to say, yeah, this is a problem. There's something in my life that's messed up. Okay, now we can have a conversation. Because, listen, when it comes to reaching our community, I don't care what color your skin is. God made it. It's beautiful. God bless you. I don't care how much you make. It's irrelevant. I don't care who you vote for. I, I, I really don't care. I don't care what kind of food you cook in your house. Well, I might care about that. But um, <laughs> But, if you're going to tell me there's something in my life that doesn't look like Jesus and I really wish that was different, game on. Now we can have a conversation. That brings us all together around the person and work of Jesus. That, that's awesome. Jesus has given us a mission to seek and save the lost by making disciples that make disciples. That's how we find wholeness. That's how they're going to find wholeness. This idea of shalom, a peace with God, with your fellow man, with creation. Because until you're willing to admit your own brokenness, it's not going to get better. You know, it's like the old joke, you know, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? 
Well, one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. Listen, there's, there's one more reason, I think it's the most important reason, that God is, is editing our DNA to, to help us become this middle place. I mean, it's where the action is, it's where God put us, but thirdly, that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus is. I, listen, it is both imaginatively creative and strategically important for Chapel Rock, I think, to take up that mantle of being this middle place. Neither one of those is the most important reason. The most important reason to be a middle place is that that's where Jesus was. We see this play out three ways. First of all, Jesus was born in the middle of the world. Hundreds of years ago, Jerusalem was considered to be the center of the ancient world. In fact, in medieval times, there was a map produced of this. There was this map that was made uh, somewhere between 1550 and 1600. That it was a map of the world, at least as, as much as they knew it during that time. So remember, 1550... This is like 60 years after Columbus, right? So they knew about America down there in the corner. But look, you have Europe, upper left, Asia, upper right, Africa, center. What's in the middle? Jerusalem. God sent his son to the very center of the ancient world. I've told you before that all the trade routes of the ancient world ran through Jerusalem. Not only that, this, is, this blows my mind. Where did, God, where did Abraham live out most of his story? In around that general area. God sent his people. The promised land was located in the center of the ancient world. So when people say, how is it fair for God to judge people who lived and died before the time of Jesus? I just point them to that map. That God sent his people to live in the center of the ancient world so that the faith of Abraham could expand all over the ancient world. Not 100% sure they got the memo on that one. But that's why. See, Jesus was born in the middle of the world. (laughs) Secondly, Jesus lived in the middle of the people. There's this great passage where we see this. Look with me at Luke chapter 5. This happens in the town of Capernaum. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came in carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you. How have you imagined that scene in your head when you've read it before? I've always imagined it with like Jesus sitting at one extreme edge of the room, right? Probably the the longer way, you know? And maybe sitting up on a little platform or something. They like set up a little something for him to sit on a chair and teach because rabbis sat when they taught rather than stand. And and so he's sitting down there and he's teaching and and everybody in the house is all like, well, kind of like you guys are right now. Like aimed and pointed at him, right? Like I, I, I just imagine it happening that way and I just wasn't reading the text carefully enough. Where's he sitting? In the middle. So imagine this, right? He's sitting there, and all of a sudden, little bits of dust and twigs and stuff start falling down. <laughs> That's weird, right? And then this daylight poof, comes down to, what in the world? You know, and this dude comes down, oh, on a mat, you know, like just, <laughs> it's, I'd always imagine it being like, like at the edge of the room. No, it's right in the middle of everybody.
He's in the middle of the room. He's right with all the people. And today's Palm Sunday. This is a great example of that. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem from Bethany, riding on a donkey's colt, he comes into town, and everyone's cheering, and they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Have you ever gone, been somewhere where they're having a parade, and you have no idea why? And you're kind of like, what's with that? Like, that's weird, right? But if you know somebody, like if your kid is in the band who's playing in the parade, man, you're all there, right? Because I know someone in there. These, the reason people are cheering on Palm Sunday is that they know Jesus. They've heard him teach. They've watched him do a miracle. Maybe they've been a recipient of a miracle. The crowd that day was like Buddy in the movie Elf. Like, Santa, I know him. Like, that was where they were mindset-wise. Jesus, yeah. How, how are they doing that? They knew him. He lived his life in the middle of the people. But not, not only did he live, not only was he born and live in the middle, he died in the middle. Been reading through John, my devotions, and I don't know how many times I read this prior, but it jumps off the page at me now. Look at this, John 19, starting in verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to, be crucif- to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. I don't know how I missed that all these years. I mean, we picture it, right? We see it in pictures. But even when he died, he was in the middle. John doesn't have to be that specific, but he is. Right at the very end of his life, Jesus is there between two thieves, loving them. What that means, Christians, is that if you want to get close to Jesus, you've got to get close to the broken. You want to be where Jesus is? You're going to be with broken people. You're going to be getting involved in messy lives. Let's be honest, yours is messier than you'd like to admit. Let's take this even further. If Jesus were to do some spiritual CRISPR gene editing in one area of your life that would be the best middle place, what would it be? What area of your life are you best positioned by God to bring wholeness to the broken? Where's the best middle place for you? Maybe it's work. You're like, dude, you have no idea what the language in my break room. Okay? Maybe it's home. Some of you, can I be bold, are unequally yoked. And maybe home is a place for you to bring wholeness and healing. For those who are younger, maybe it's school. Right? You're like, man, if you knew the kind of stuff I overheard in the hallway. <laughs> maybe it's a coffee shop you go every day. Maybe it's something you do as a hobby. I want you to realize this. Hear me. You're not stuck there. God has you there strategically. He sent you there. By the grace of God, you are there strategically to become a middle place. You're not planted, you're positioned. And my challenge for you today is to find that spot and really lean into that intentionally. You see, there's another way that the Bible speaks about Jesus being in the middle. He is the, he is the middle. 
He's the mediator between God and humanity. Look at this in 1 Timothy 2.5. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. The author of Hebrews will pick up on this in Hebrews 9.15 when they write, for this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. You need to understand that Jesus is your middle place. Because he is the mediator between you and God. He is where you meet God, and he is who will change you to become like him. A mediator is a peacemaker. They bring shalom. They bring wholeness back into a situation. And he can do that for you if you'll let him, if you'll surrender your life to him. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing a song together. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you don't have the kind of wholeness that we've been talking about, Oh, buddy, that's the first DNA edit he wants to make on you. He wants to splice that into you. Listen, God only has one church at 2020 North Girls School Road. It's us. And we have to live that out. We have the privilege, nay, the divine mandate to step boldly into the future and and to do ministry that will help the whole church continue to make disciples of the whole community. And I want to ask you to join us in that. Maybe you're going to take your first step today and and acknowledge your need for Jesus to come forward and say, I want to give my life to the Lord. I want to be baptized. I'm going to repent of my sins and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord and begin that walk of discipleship. God is about ready to position you to do something amazing if you'll let him, if you'll respond to that invitation in your life. But you can't do that alone. And so maybe, maybe there's an area of your life where you need to repent and get right either with God or with somebody. You could do that during this time. You got something that's just like, man, I got this constant thing. It's a distraction. It's keeping me from, from what God's calling me to do. We'd love to pray with you about that. You can come forward. You can go to the next step room. One of our elders will be in there to greet you. If you have questions, that'd be a great place to go. Maybe today you just want someone to come around side you and pray with you. We'd love to do that. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me And I want to challenge you to to step into that place of being in the middle. And we're going to sing together. You come.